Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Worship at Fusion this morning. We're so glad that you're here with us in person as well as online. Welcome. At this time, I invite you to stand up and greet one another with the peace of Christ. morning. Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Amen. Let's sing praises to him this morning.
Child forever I 
Good morning, everybody. At this time, we'd like to invite our kids over to the west side of the room to head downstairs for children's ministry. And of course, if any of you like to stay around, you're always welcome to do that as well. Just a quick introduction. My name is Nate DeWitt. I know many of you already, but I'm the youth pastor here at Hardwick. Honored and privileged to work with our teenagers and just want to say thank you for all the support that all you guys give us regularly, too. We have a lot of really cool teenagers in our church and from the surrounding communities, so thank you for the support that you guys give us regularly. We appreciate that. All right, students, you guys ready? Adults, you guys ready? Let's send them down with our parting blessing. Adults, with me, please. The Lord be with you. All right, guys, have a good time downstairs. All right, if you would, we're going to move into a time of prayer. If you would join me, we're going to begin with a few verses from Psalm 20. Let's pray. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over the victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. Lord, thank you for the blessing of these words from Psalm 20 today. Uh, thank you for being a God who we know wants good things for us. We trust you, Lord. We believe that in all things you work for good, both for us and for the world around us. Help us to be a people that believes in your good favor, trusts in your great plan, and is grateful for all that you give us daily. As much as we realize and are thankful for all that you give, Lord, we also know that the reality of life means that sometimes things are taken from us. We confess our pain when loved ones are taken. It's hard to be without those we have cared so deeply for. We confess our weariness when our health is taken from us. Whether it's short-term or long-term illness, we ask for your swift and complete healing for ourselves when we're ill and for those in our community who are struggling with any illness. Lord, we know that you're Lord overall, but we also realize that you've put many leaders over our families, this church, our community, our state, and even our country. We ask that you grant them wisdom. We pray that the decisions that they make are made for things that bring us closer to you. This is a broken world, Lord, and we ask that you fill all our leaders with the leadership tools necessary to make this world a better place in your name. Lord, as we start a new year, we may be thinking of all the things we hope to accomplish in 2023. We ask that you grant us courage when we need it. We pray for determination when our, when our will is failing us, and we ask for peace when things seem hectic. And lastly, we again ask for a sense of trust, knowing that you will take care of us in the end. Thank you for this time together, Lord. It's a blessing. Help us to see that, to make gathering with your people a priority in our lives for 2023. Thank us for your words that we're about to hear and help us to apply them to our lives this week. Bless this time together, Lord. 
Amen. Thanks, Nate. And good morning, church. Good morning, good morning. What a strange Christmas season. Amen. It was just, it was just weird. And uh, the weather disruption was a big part of that. And tough decisions to not, but just not meeting for Christmas service. Anyway, weird and hard. And yet, I think the wise decisions. But anyway, just to acknowledge that. Amen. I don't know why you amen that, but I always say amen. So amen. Let's just try it. Yeah. Um, but, but part of that, I don't know, one of the things with the strange Christmas season that it was, it's good to be finding those regular rhythms again. And uh, I don't know about you, but it's good to be back in this space. Can I get an amen there? Yeah. Amen. Um, also with that, um, thank you for your generosity, your response uh, this past year-end giving. We had a lot of responses to that. I think we're going to be in, in decent shape going into the new year, but uh, continue to keep that in mind. Continue to find ways to invest in the ministry here, into this family. It's not just financial gifts. It's also time and energy, spending time with our kids, Wednesday nights. There's so many ways that we can invest in the lives of one another. And, and as Nate prayed, I, I, my prayer is that that's one of our commitments going into this new year. But this morning, we are jumping back into the story. And if you remember, this past fall, we began working our way through the entire narrative, the story of Scripture, beginning in Genesis. And we're going to be going all the way to the book of Revelation. Uh, We stepped away for about a month during the season of Advent which is important and good to focus on the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, who has promised to come and who will come again. Uh, But we stepped away about a month ago, and if you remember, we ended uh, looking at the the life, um, the legacy and the downfall, if you will, of King Solomon. You remember that? We left off about a month looking at King Solomon. There was King Saul, and then King David took over, and then uh, King David's son with Bathsheba was Solomon, and Solomon became king. He's known for his wisdom. He's remembered for being the one to build the temple in Jerusalem. Um, but we also remembered that at the end of his life, he falls and he falls hard. Do you remember that? And his, the end of his life was marked with, with failures. Uh, he was promoting pagan worship, the gods of his wives, and he was enslaving his own people. And for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Kings. Uh, that, that, that part of Solomon's life was the first 11 chapters of the book of Kings. And for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at Kings. First and second Kings in our Bibles, but it's really one continuous work uh, looking at first and second Kings. And uh, I don't know about you, but have, have, has anyone tried to read the Bible through the year? Um, or, or Anyway, if, if you've just read through the book of Kings, you'll know that the book of Kings can can become a little difficult. Uh, it's kind of hard to keep track of all the things that are going on, all the details in the book of Kings. There's lists of, of kings from the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, and, and then all these kings' names, many of them sound the same. Anyone with me? Like it becomes hard to keep track of, and there's some charts and stuff on the internet you can find. Uh, but, but I put together this little chart, which is a summary of kind of what the Bible Project puts, to, puts together. And so this is just a way to kind of help us block out the book of Kings with some of the major significant moments uh, kind of earmarked with kind of dashed lines. And so highlighted in yellow is where we're going to be today, First Kings 12 through 16, uh, which is the significant moment is this is when the kingdom of Israel divides to north and south. And this is confusing, but the northern kingdom is called Israel and the southern kingdom was called Judah. So Israel divides into Israel and Judah, uh, but that's the significant moment. 
Uh, next week, we're going to be looking at 1 Kings 17 through 2 Kings 8, which really covers the, the period of the prophets. Two prominent prophets, Elijah and Elisha, during the time, and, and their confrontations, if you will, with the kings of the northern kingdom, Israel, starting with Ahab. We'll talk about that. And then the, the last two weeks in the month of January, we'll look at the fall of Israel, chapters 9 through uh, 17. That's the northern kingdom. And then we'll shift to the fall of Judah. Chapters 18 through 25. I don't, is that helpful? Hopefully that's helpful to kind of wrap your mind around what's happening in the book, the books of 1st and 2nd Kings. This morning though, we're going to be looking at 1st Kings chapter 12, uh, where Solomon's son Rehoboam continues in his father Solomon's kind of downward trajectory, which ultimately leads to the kingdom of Israel dividing north and south. And so we're going to read this story, verses 1 through 20. If you're willing, if you're able, I invite you to stand as we hear God speak to us. Uh, Just a little bit of context, two primary names here. Uh, Rehoboam, who's Solomon's son, the king of the southern kingdom in Israel at this time. And then Jeroboam, again, these names, a little confusing, uh, is this ruler and he's the one who's going to become the king of the northern kingdom, Israel. Just to help you kind of follow some of those names. But let's pick up. 1 Kings 12 verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. We'll talk about that in a bit. He returned from Egypt. So they, the people, sent for Jeroboam and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, who's now king, your father, referring to Solomon, put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the, el- the elders gave him and instead consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, make, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam as the king had said, come back to me in three days. Verse 13, the king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. He followed the advice instead of the young men and said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people for, his turn of, for this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, what share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel, look after your own house, David. So the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. King Rehoboam sent out Adoniram, 
who was in charge of forced labor, but all Israel stoned him to death. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. When all the Israelites heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king. Here's the split over all Israel. Only the tribe of Judah to the south remained loyal to the house of David and King Rehoboam. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for an account. An account, really, Lord, of of failure and character flaw. And Lord, we pray that by your spirit, you you would teach and you would speak into our lives and our hearts so that we might learn to live more and more like our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's his name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you caught the, the name of the, uh, the sermon this morning, People Divided. Kind of makes us a little, little leery. And um, before we go into anything, I'm just going to name the elephant in the room, what many of you are thinking. And what you're thinking is, that pastor's socks are awful. Can you see it? I've said some words about my, pa- my Packers the last uh, month or so. But anyway, there's a football game tonight, if you're not aware. The Lions are playing the Packers. I'm a Packers fan. We're in Michigan anyway. People divided. We're not going to let that happen. Amen? Talk about division. Talk about conflict. Talk about co- discord. I was also just reflecting this past couple weeks, Christmas break. Kids are home from school. We have a nine-year-old and a five-year-old. And they, were, they seem really good this morning, so... I, Anyway, I shouldn't put you on the spot, Yvonne, but, but Christmas break, home, oh man, the conflict and the bickering can be kind of hard, right? Conflict, though, let's, let's just acknowledge conflict is going to happen in human relationships, whether it's with our kids, whether it's with family members, but disagreement, mistakes, conflict, they're, they're a reality when people do life together, right? It's true in families. It can be true in churches and in communities, etc. cetera. Uh, but I think what we can all also recognize this morning is, is, is something's changed in our world as far as the impact of our conflict and our differences. Do you notice it? Far too often differences, our differences between one another lead to animosity and contempt and even to the point of estrangement where like a relationship that's been meaningful breaks and we no longer have that relationship. And we've talked about the the variety of different factors which have led to the divisions that we see in our world, but over the past handful of years, a lot of ink, or I don't know what you call as far as internet typing, I don't know if you say ink, but ink has been spilled over the state of of really division and and polarity in in our nation in particular, in our world. And some have, some have even said that Experts who are smarter than me have said that the data even suggests that we're, we're more divided than at any time since the Civil War. Now, I don't know if that is true or how you prove that, uh, but what I am sure that, um, but I, what I do think is fair to acknowledge is that division and polarization is a real, con- is a real concern in our country and world. You with me? Um, it's a cause for concern, it's a cause for uncertainty regarding our future, and all that's true. Um, 
And unfortunately, that, that division that we see kind of in the, in the big picture has had its way of, of seeping into, into our more close-knit communities. And I think that's just painful, and that's been difficult. Um, take that, um, take what you feel um, about the divisions and, and, and the uncertainty in our world, in our nation right now, in our context, and what I want you to do is take that kind of feeling and what you're wrestling with, uh, turn up the heat a few degrees, uh, go back a couple millennia, uh, and, and, and go across the ocean to the nation of Israel. And that is just a glimpse of where the nation of Israel was at during this time in our history here in 1 Kings 12. What I want to do is kind of look at some of the context and what's going on in these chapters, and then we'll look ahead and see how that kind of relates to our time now. But let's begin with the context. Israel is on edge during this time in her history. By the end of Solomon's reign, things are not looking pretty. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 11 summarizes many of Solomon's failures that we covered about a month ago, idolatry, injustices, uh, both of which continue to plague the nation into their divide, the nations into their divided future, north and south. Because King Solomon had turned his heart from the Lord, we read in chapter 11 that God raises adversaries, two of those adversaries from foreign nations uh, to come against him to discipline and to help him see the consequences of his actions. But one of those adversaries that God raises is from within Israel. In 1 Kings chapter 11 is when we are actually introduced to Jeroboam, who becomes the first king of the northern kingdom, Jeroboam receives word in 1 Kings chapter 11 from the prophet Ahijah that God is going to tear away 10 tribes from Solomon as consequences for his turning away from the Lord. He's going to save and, and spare one for the sake of his father David. More on that in a little bit. But 10 of those tribes he's going to give to Jeroboam who will rule over them as king. Then God promises Jeroboam that if he listens to the commands, walks in the ways of the Lord, he will prosper. The same promises that God has given to previous kings and to previous generations. Follow my ways. This, the ways of the Lord are good and they bring life and prosperity. But what we see, this kind of gives us a snapshot that things in Israel are really at a breaking point. Their king Solomon has led the people toward idolatry. He's ruled unjustly. And things are about to fall apart. They're teetering. It's at a tipping point. Whatever other way you want to put it, things are very fragile in the nation of Israel. By the time we get to 1 Kings 12, what really happens here with Rehoboam, that story we just read, really this is kind of the precipitating moment. Things were already teetering. Things were already about to split and divide. This was just the moment that precipitated it all. King Rehoboam really just continues his father's unjust practices. And now let's look at Rehoboam's folly or failures. King Rehoboam's failures in 1 Kings 12. We're just going to walk through this story and look at some of his failures. Um, such an interesting look, 1 Kings 12, at Rehoboam's rule. And it gives us a snapshot of his character, or I should say, lack thereof, right? Uh, there's three flaws or three failures that, were, that just, for me, just kind of jumped off the pages of Scripture as I was studying this account. Uh, those three things are this, uh, apathy, absurdity, and arrogance. You could tell I'm a pastor, right? That alliteration, we love that. Uh, apathy, absurdity, and arrogance. Let's look at each of those briefly this morning. The first of those, apathy. 
Notice the, the, in the text, the story that we read, the people um, send for Jeroboam, this, this, this ruler uh, that was looked highly upon. He returns from Egypt. The people send for Jeroboam, and they, they, with Jeroboam, come to King Rehoboam, and really they have a pretty simple request. It's right on the screen. They say to, to King Rehoboam, your father, referring to Solomon, put a heavy yoke on us, and now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Again, if you remember at the end of Solomon's reign, he used conscribed labor or forced labor to build the temple and to build his own palace. We talked about that about a month ago. And here we learn that this labor, this forced labor, this like slavery was harsh and it was still going on under Rehoboam. Uh, and this sort of practice, this kind of large-scale enslavement of God's people was forbidden uh, in Deuteronomy 17. We talked about that a month ago. And in, a, in this kind of stunning contrast about a month ago, we talked about how Solomon, uh, at the end of his reign, resembled Pharaoh more than he did his father David. Like, that's stunning and shocking and, and offensive, right? But here at this moment, it's kind of this moment where Rehoboam can make a decision. The people are simply asking for their load to be lightened. That's a pretty reasonable request, right? They're not even asking for the load to be removed. They're just asking for mercy from their king. They're asking for their king to show some level of compassion for them, to treat them as people, to treat them as God's people who bear the image of God instead of simply this means to his own ends, whatever those ends are. He's treating them like this kind of dehumanized workforce. And, but instead of compassion at this request, instead of responding with compassion, Rehoboam shows apathy, shows indifference, shows a complete disregard for their concerns, sends them away for three days. And when they return, what does he do? He only intensifies their suffering. You thought, my, you thought you had it bad under my dad. I'm gonna increase your workload. You thought whips were bad? I'll show you scorpions. Again, who does that sound like? Harkening back to the book of Exodus, when Moses asks Pharaoh to let the people go, what is he, he takes away the straw. I'm gonna make your work even harder. Rehoboam is looking more like Pharaoh than he does King David. Again, shocking. Friends, this gives us a glimpse into a dehumanizing disregard for human life that I think most of us in the modern world would wholeheartedly reject. Can I get an amen to that? And why? Because we've seen in human history the tragic consequences of what happens when we stop seeing other people as people. When we stop seeing the shared humanity, the shared value and worth in our fellow brothers and sisters. All of us, all human beings have been created in the image of God. And we've seen what happens when instead of seeing people as human beings, image bearers of God, and instead seeing them as objects or animals or whatever it is, it's led to some of the worst atrocities in human history. Particularly when it's with leaders, right? Apathy. Second thing we see in Rehoboam a level of, of folly or, or foolishness. Now, for my purposes, I picked absurdity because of that alliteration thing, right? Hashtag alliteration. But I think you'll see that, that absurdity is actually a word that, that fits. The king seeks wise counsel. The, the story continues. Verse six, from the elders who served his father Solomon. And they give him like incredibly Good words of wisdom, right? This, this sound advice dripping with wisdom, right? They say this, verse seven. If today you will be a servant to these people, if you will serve them, if you'll give them a favorable answer, 
they will always be your servants. Now for a king who it seems lacks compassion, and even if he does lack compassion, a favorable answer still makes sense even just considering his own selfish motives. Like, like think about it this way. If, if King Rehoboam doesn't care uh, at all about these people, like if he thinks they're just absolute trash, he could earn their loyalty forever if he just offers them a little mercy in this moment. Like, like compassion aside, this is still a wise word from these elders. Offer them a little mercy and they will serve you forever. They'll be loyal to you. This is just good leadership. This is good wisdom. And, and, and yet, what do we have? King Rehoboam rejects this wise counsel, rejects wisdom. Instead, he consults what we're told young men he grew up with. I don't know, I kind of see this as, it's kind of like his crew, like, right? His posse, like these are the guys, his boys that he grew up with. And he consults these guys who now are just serving him. And really, if you think about it, their primary purpose in life is just simply to tell King Rehoboam what he wants to hear. Kind of stroke his ego, right? They have no interest in wisdom. They have no interest in what is right. Their only interest is to keep their place of privilege in the court of the palace, of the court of the king. And what's the advice that these young men offer him? It's terrible advice. Terrible advice. Make things worse. Again, absurdity. This level of foolishness demonstrated by King Rehoboam is, is absurdity. Because when folly, when foolishness reaches a certain level, and I don't know about you, but like in our modern world, right, it's reaching this level like where we all just kind of shake our heads and are like, what is going on right now? It feels absurd. Have you been there right? in the last several years? Like, we're looking around like, what's going on? It's like, our world has seemed to have gone mad. Things are absurd. Like, what is going on? And this leads to the third level of failure, third flaw in Rehoboam, which is a complete and utter Arrogance. Rehoboam's arrogance really comes through in his need to be greater than his father. Did you catch that? His, his crew, you know, his boys or whatever, however you want to call it, they, they, they feed this part of his ego. Your father's nothing compared to you, right? My little finger is thicker than his, like what is that all about? Show them how great of a king you are through a show of force and power. Uh, and this is the advice that Rehoboam takes. Saying, my, my father made your yoke heavy, I'm going to make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I'm going to scourge you with scorpions. Rehoboam's own arrogance, his egotism, his self-love, his narcissism is revealed in his incessant need to be greater, stronger, and more powerful than his father Solomon. And by the end of chapter 12, he's ready to go to war with his own people who have just seceded from him. Now in chapter 12, a prophet intervenes and he listens to the prophet in this like one moment of wisdom and clarity. But at the end of his reign, that was short-lived because we're told, that, we're told that continued warfare existed between Rehoboam and Jeroboam during their reign. North and south, who were once one people, are now at war with one another because of a king's arrogance, absurdity, and apathy. A disproportionate love of self, 
an inflated self-image, an obsession for self-preservation and self-promotion is a destructive force that often leaves a wake of battered individuals, broken relationships, and divided communities. And it's painful. It's painful. And for the nation of Israel, this leads to the 10 northern tribes seceding from Israel under Jeroboam's leadership, but not for the better. We see apathy and absurdity and arrogance only become a repeating theme that leads to further ruin. This leads to the division of the kingdom and also continued failure. Let's just look briefly ahead at the chapters that we're not gonna cover in detail this morning. We continue the story in 1 Kings 12. Jeroboam becomes king over the 10 northern tribes of Israel. But what we read in chapter 12 is he does not remain faithful to the commands. Instead, in his own arrogance, he, he decides to erect idols in the north and southern part of Israel, in, in Bethel and Dan. Not only does he erect idols, and here's his reasoning. Uh, Jeroboam says, well, man, if the people have to return to Jerusalem to worship at the temple, then they're, they're going to return to Rehoboam, and I'm going to get killed. So for his own self-interest, he erects his own religious institutions, idols. And what are those idols? Golden calves. Are you kidding me? He erects two golden calves in Israel and says, this is your God, the one who rescued you out of the land of Egypt. Does that sound familiar? Exodus 32, like the first major blunder, the people after they received the law, they erect a golden calf. Like, does he not understand his own history, right? Jeroboam, come on, right? And the northern kingdom will struggle with idolatry moving forward. In 1 Kings 14, we're given a summary of Jeroboam's reign, which is disaster. He fails to repent. His son Abijah dies. And his legacy of one of war and idolatry, summed up with um, some words um, from verses 10. Let me just read them. Because of this, this is a prophecy that comes against Jeroboam. I will burn the house of Jeroboam as one burns dung until it is all gone. Dogs will eat those belonging to Jeroboam who die in the city and the birds will feed on those who die in the country. The Lord has spoken. That is a prophecy you do not want spoken about you. Amen. Right? He's a fa- it's a failure. It's a disaster. Shifting over to, to King Rehoboam in the south in Judah, his reign is also summed up with, with idolatry along with awful practices of the surrounding nations. And then during year five of his reign, Egypt comes up from the south and, and plunders and takes all of the, the, the treasures from the temple and the palace. So you remember at the end of Solomon's life, he, he built this, this treasures and this wealth. It all gets plundered by, the, by Egypt in year five of his son's reign. Again, this is only a sign of what's to come in the story. This, this section that, that the story covers through chapter 16 then goes on to share some of the kings of, of the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. And just for your uh, own, if, if that's helpful for you, uh, a list of some of the kings. Notice uh, on, on the right there, Judah, kings in the south, Rehoboam, Abijah, and Asa is the only good king. And then on the north, we have a list of kings, and they're just listed uh, real fast. All evil, uh, all corrupt, leading to Ahab. You remember Ahab, Jezebel? Those names kind of sound familiar. We're going to cover those next week. All that's to say is it ends in disaster, and this downward trajectory just continues. And we're going to pick up the story next week with the prophets who interject uh, with the kings of north Israel 
Elijah and Elisha, but for this morning, here's the burning question. What can we, thousands of years later, what can we learn from this story that we read? What can we learn specifically from Rehoboam's failure that, uh, that continues with the kings that follow? And, and honestly, I think the answer to that is pretty obvious, actually. <laughs> um, but it's worth acknowledging that those same traits, those same failures, those same character flaws exhibited in King Rehoboam continue to cause destruction and feed division today. Apathy, absurdity or foolishness, arrogance, they continue to feed division, destruction, and discord. When people have little concern for others, too much concern for themselves, when people ignore all wisdom and counsel from others and from the word of God, the result is brokenness. Broken hearts, broken relationships, broken communities, families, nations divided. And these divisions, as we've seen, can even begin to leak into Christ's church. And friends, I don't know about you, but that absolutely breaks my heart. That is a sad, sad reality that many of us have unfortunately experienced. It's painful, it's hard, and in many cases, it's heartbreaking. When families can't even meet during the holidays because of it. When churches are split because of it, you know, and just want to acknowledge how painful that is and just say, I am sorry if you've experienced that. And if Christmas was different because of that this year. These same things lead to division, discord, and destruction. Here's the other piece that I think is fairly obvious. But as those who follow Jesus Christ, for those who are familiar with the teaching and example of Jesus Christ, we know that this is not how we are to live. Side note, I think most people understand that as well. But for those of us who claim Jesus Christ as Lord, especially us, we should understand that these things are not how we are to live. Jesus Christ calls us to live radically different lives from what we saw and see displayed with these kings. And here's, here's, an ex- here's just a quick rundown. Instead of apathy, what does Christ call us to? Calls us toward radical love for our neighbor. Even those we would consider an enemy. What does Jesus say? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That is radically different than apathy. Indifference. Instead of absurdity, Christ calls us to live according to the wisdom of God's word. Wisdom that's not not guided by the whims of our disordered passions. Like so many, it's like, well, what do you feel? You know, what do you think? Like, those are, that's... That's not, that's not solid, right? We might not be guided by the whims of our disordered passions or held captive by the echo chambers that's easy to fall into. The echo chambers that have, have been uh, given to us by social media's algorithm, for example. Echo chambers that, that just become a resounding symbol within our in-group, whatever that is. But instead, in wisdom, we can be willing and honest, we can consider honestly the opinions and perspectives of others in love and respect. When we do this knowing, we do this knowing that wisdom is found in, in a life guided by the Spirit. And how does the Spirit speak to us? The Spirit speaks to us through the fellowship of believers, through one another, 
So may we listen with respect. The Spirit speaks to us through prayer. And of course, most importantly, the Spirit speaks to us through the Word of God. And so we can listen with love and patience and confidence because, because we have the wisdom of God, Jesus Christ, right here in his word. And instead of arrogance, Christ calls us toward humility, a humility that stems from love, found in Jesus Christ's example, right? Who did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but Jesus Christ, as Philippians 2 says, he willingly laid down his own life on a cross, This is the gospel. This is what guides our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul puts it beautifully in Ephesians 4. He urges the church toward love. Let me just read these words slowly and with intent. Listen. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as we are called to one hope when you are called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Friends, we are called to live differently. May we continue to live according to the wisdom of the gospel, which seems like foolishness to the world. Wisdom that's guided by humility and love represented in the work of Christ on the cross. Friends, this is what unifies us as the church of Jesus Christ that's way stronger than all the different forces and things that attempt to divide us. Amen? Here's the thing. A lot of things divide people. <laughs> Silly socks, maybe. Maybe not. But in a real way, like, sports is a way where fans can kind of get out of control. And I don't know, I'm guessing most of you heard what happened on Monday night. Um, a player for the Buffalo Bills collapsed on the field, cardiac arrest, Demar Hamlin. Praise God, he's doing miraculously well considering. Um, I just found it fascinating that in this moment when, when what really matters is in our face, the things that cause division among sports fans and teams kind of just went to the side for at least a moment. And what really mattered, which was love and support and encouraging this young man and his family who are just in this devastating circumstance came to the surface. But here's the thing. What really matters, people, the gospel, Jesus Christ, it doesn't, crisis and tragedy don't make those things more important, they just help us see. And my prayer is that it doesn't require that for for us to see what truly matters. The gospel, God's call to love God with all our heart, God's call to love our neighbor as ourself, that does not change. May we see the importance of that as God's people and let all the things that cause bickering and separation just kind of dissolve to the side. We are united in Jesus Christ. And finally, as we close this morning, I I just want to just direct our attention to a couple of details in the text that may have been easy to miss. 
couple verses, verse 1 Kings 12, kind of this commentary in the middle of the story that we read. So the king did not listen to the people for this turn of events was from the Lord. To fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah, the Shilohite. And then later in 1 Kings 14, we read uh, this little summary of Rehoboam's reign. We read this, Rehoboam, son of Solomon, was king of Judah. He was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem. The city the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel in which to put his name. Throughout the story, in, in chapter 11, Only 10 tribes were taken from Solomon. Why? For the sake of David. Jerusalem is a city of God for the sake of, it's this Davidic covenant that is the undercurrent throughout the story. These stories, these accounts, they're messy, they're disorienting, they're filled with brokenness, division, and sin, and yet these texts suggest that God is at work in the midst of it all. See, there is this undercurrent of hope throughout the book of Kings and all of scripture. It is a hope that is found in the covenant promises of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ who we celebrated this past Christmas. And that, friends, is so critical in keeping in our minds and our hearts this morning, especially as we consider the brokenness and the polarized state of our world and relationships right now. Yes, we should learn from the flaws and failures that we read in these stories. Yes, we should look to Jesus as our Lord, follow his teaching and example, live in love and humility, etc. Yes, we should feel compelled to be peacemakers, to be those who work toward reconciliation, healing in our families and communities and world. Yes, yes, yes. And in it all, remember that our hope is not found in our ability to succeed in living into that vision. Are you with me? No matter how much we love with wisdom and and humility, the truth is that there are real limits to our own capacity to love broken people. And there's limits to, to the changes that we might see in complicated systems. We're all broken and sinful, and every person we engage with is broken and sinful. That is all true. That doesn't mean we stop trying or living into this vision, but it's important for us to remember that God is at work in the midst of all of that brokenness. And God, as we learned last week, has a plan to redeem this broken world, and God's plan cannot be stopped. We are simply invited to jump on board his plan of healing and redemption and see him work. And so we can, we can love and we can live in humility with a certain level of confidence, not in outcomes, but in Jesus Christ. And so we join with God's work. We get on board what the Spirit is already doing. And I don't know about you, but I need God's help. And so let's pray and ask God to be with us in that work. Will you join me? Lord God, we thank you for your word which continues to speak in ways that are so relevant even thousands of years later. Lord, we look to you, Lord Jesus. We look to you as our example, as our Lord, the one who shows us in your own life, in your own teaching, Lord Jesus, what it, what it means to follow you, to live with love and humility, 
to live with wisdom and patience and self-control, these, these fruit of the Spirit, Lord, that we pray would manifest by the power of your Spirit in our lives. We look to you as our Lord, but Lord, we also look to you as our Savior, the one who, who entered the brokenness of this world, Lord Jesus, the one who did all that was required to bring salvation And Lord, as we remembered last week, the one who will come again and restore all that is broken. Lord, may may we get on board with your redemptive plan. And Lord, we look forward to seeing the gospel fruit as your spirit works in us and through us and among us. We pray all this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and sing. My life is yours And my hope is in
So we are singing that song, a song that beautifully captures the gospel, what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. Just a reminder that the gospel is the ultimate uh, leveling of the playing field, if you will. And these things, apathy or arrogance um, or absurdity, the gospel just demolishes those things. Because the moment we think we're better than anyone else, the gospel says, no, I am a broken sinner. The moment I'm tempted to not care about other people, no, Jesus Christ died for them as well. This gospel changes everything for us and it is why it is the one thing that binds us together, that makes us one beyond anything else. And so as you go from here today, this week, in this coming year, may the gospel of Jesus Christ be what leads you in all that you do by the power of the Spirit, Jesus Christ. Receive this blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father Almighty, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen. Let's enjoy some donuts and some time together. And don't be mean to me with my socks. Yeah. Bridge one. You heard your children you hear your children now you are the same god you are the same